we continue to look at 1 Samuel today. We started 1 Samuel last week and looked at um, that it's not just a story of um, Samuel, but it's actually a story of Samuel's mother as we begin uh, in chapter 1. And so often in text, we see that the patriarchs are lifted up and the patriarchs are mentioned. But here we have the story of Hannah. And in those opening verses we looked at um, in 1 Samuel, Hannah was married to Elkanah, and he has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. And the one gives him children, sons and daughters. Uh, the other, Hannah, has no children. And in fact, in verse 5, we are told that she is barren because the Lord has closed her womb. And in fact, in those first eight verses, we are told that twice in the scripture. There are many reasons that the Lord will bring trials into his people as far as their lives and what they may Face often is to stimulate faith, is to turn us from what we may have our focus on and to put it back on him. In the case of the mother of Samuel, Hannah, the point is not really about Hannah, but it is about Israel. The, the Lord closed Hannah's womb. And, and we see, and we will see in the text even today, that the Lord blesses her, as we know, with a child. And there's some things that happen that we're going to take a look at this morning in between that. But Israel had turned away from God. Israel had become uh, barren in their faith and their uh, focus on Jehovah God, on Yahweh. And so God is looking at his people, and ultimately Samuel is going to be one of those instruments that God is going to use to bring his people back to him. What God shows us in this text this morning through Hannah's prayer is that often we will find ourselves sometimes barren in our faith we will have turned to something else or have something as a focus. In fact, sometimes we feel either distant from God or God is, in our minds, distant from us. I can remember my dad so often saying to me, Marty, I don't feel like my prayers are going above the ceiling of the house, that God is just somewhere out there, but he's not with me. And in essence, he was saying, I feel barren. It happens in the church also. Uh, the churches sometimes bear little harvests of holiness towards the Lord. In, this, in other words, they are barren for the zeal for the Lord, that the Lord has desire over the church to work, to be in ministry, to be in mission in where he has planted them. So I hope this morning that as we go through this text that you will see that this is a grace-filled, grace-seeking prayer that Hannah offers to God. I believe that Hannah is placing her very life in God's hands. 
and I hope that we can do the same. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, I'll be reading verses 9 through 20 this morning in this first chapter of 1 Samuel. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all of his days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth, for Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought that she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine, your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit and have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying because I have asked him of the Lord this is the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God let's pray father may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight for you are our strength and our redeemer I pray father this morning that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, by the power of your holy word, by your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, for a time, Israel had forgotten the Lord, or at least as a whole, they were not worshiping God the way that they should. And we see this over and over. Uh, often, Israel will come to the Lord because of something the Lord has done in trying to bring them back to him, and then we will see them fall away. But Elkanah was a little different. As the whole of Israel may have been uh, worshiping God in this way, in forgetting God in a way, but not Elkanah. In fact, we're told in those beginning verses, and even now in this section, that he would go up to the city to Shiloh and he would worship the Lord God. He would make sacrifice to him. And yes, as I said last week, he would go up for those three feast days, but it's believed that he would make this trek up to Shiloh 
and go to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would make sacrifice to the Lord. He had prioritized his life for the Lord God. He paid attention to Jehovah God. And so the text today has the setting again at Shiloh and again for worship and again for prayer and sacrifice. And, and we know from verse 6 and 7 from last week that, that Hannah was in despair. She was uh, just devastated by the way that she was being treated by her rival, as the scripture says. Peninnah had provoked her and was uh, despairing to her and probably many other women within their town. And so the, the text tells us that she was eating and drinking at Shiloh, and now she arises and she goes to the tabernacle, and she goes to pray. And in the midst of her weeping, in the midst of her sorrow, as Hannah is praying at the tabernacle, we see that in this prayer that she prays, we can take much from. The first thing that we see in this simple prayer is, is that Hannah turned to the Lord in her need. Hannah turned to the Lord in her need. How many times in Scripture have we seen where those have turned to the Lord in their need? We see it in Abraham and Moses. We see it in Joseph and Daniel. Jonah and Elijah. Jeremiah and David. Even in the New Testament, we see it with Peter, Paul, and Mary. And I'm not talking about the 70s band. I'm talking about Peter, Paul, and Mary of the New Testament, early church, greats. They, they turn to God in their need. But our our best example is Jesus. The best example we have is Jesus. Jesus who is holy. Jesus who is righteous. Jesus who is without sin. And yet he turns to his father every chance he gets. And we see at the end of his life as at the beginning of his life. We see in the beginning where he went out into the desert and for 40 days he is praying. He knows what's ahead of him. And even with Satan's temptation for him, he turns to the Lord, his father. At the end, before his arrest, he goes into the garden. And again, he turns to his father in prayer. In his time of need, he sets an example for us. And what is so wonderful when it comes to Jesus is that we are told Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather who is raised, who is set and seated at the right hand of God, and the rest of that verse, 834 of Romans says, is the one who intercedes for us. He is the one who intercedes for us. And so when we place our life in God's hands, we have someone that is beside us, lifting us up, caring for us. In fact, his very spirit in us. Hannah turned to the Lord in her need. How about us? 
The second thing that we can see in Hannah's prayer is that Hannah prayed knowing who God is. In verse 11, she says, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts. Hannah was honoring God with who he was. Yes, he has all the power that she needs, all the power and might of the Lord of hosts. And so Hannah says to God, please remember me. Remember me. She prays for a son. She calls on God in faith, knowing that God is the only one that can provide this. She is barren. She knows that unless God is acting, this is not going to happen. She believes this with all of her heart. Do we pray knowing who God is? Do we remember that God is creator God, that God is all-powerful, that God is the Lord of hosts of all things, heaven and earth? Do we really believe that if we carry our need to God in prayer, that God is able to answer that prayer, that he's in control of all things, even in control of everything. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. And he is able to meet every need. Placing our life in God's hands is to know who God is. I want to say that once more. Placing our life in God's hands is to know who God is. Psalm 21:13 says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength, and listen to what the psalmist says. We will sing and praise your power. We will sing and praise your power. So when we pray to God, we pray knowing who God is. Third, Hannah's prayer, she prays knowing who she was. Over and over, you hear the words maidservant, or you may hear or read in your particular translation, it may say humble servant. But in the NASB that I was reading, it has maidservant over and over again. And she is not demanding that the Lord listen to her. That's not what she's doing. She is making a humble request before the Lord. There is no evidence that she comes before the Lord and, and, and gives some um, complaint. She acknowledges who she is, but she doesn't say, Look, God, you closed my womb. That's just not fair. You know, my husband's other wife is giving him all these children. There's... There's no evidence that she came trying to name her rights in any way, but she comes as a humble servant. Do we do, do, we do the same? And I just wonder if sometimes we think we might deserve something from God because of who he is. And forget who we are. That we don't deserve anything. 
we, we don't deserve anything. He gives us almost everything, but we don't deserve it. But in his mercy and grace, he gives it. From Hannah, we can learn to come to God with humility, to come as a, a humble servant, bowing before him on our knees, the Lord God, our maker, not demanding of him, but listening to him and pouring out our heart to him in our need. When we come in humble obedience, as Hannah did, the Lord hears our prayers, and he does answer them. It may not be exactly the way we desire them to be, but his will is perfect, and his purpose is perfect. Do we come praying knowing who we are before God. Next, Hannah's prayer. She knew what she wanted, and she was not afraid to ask the Lord for it. In other words, Hannah's prayer was specific. She prayed consistently in what she wanted. She didn't give a list of things. And we know that when we come to the Lord in prayer, we can use that, um, that acronym of, of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We can, we can give that into the Lord, and we do. We pray blessings. We do that in corporate worship. We do that privately. We give adoration and praise to our Lord, and we confess before him. But the Lord invites us to bring our petitions before him, to make our request before him, specifically before him. Philippians 4, 6, go and, and read that, and you will see that the Lord is telling us, bring those before me. Bring those before me. It honors the Lord when we come before him, even with our petitions and Hannah did that so beautifully, so humbly, so clearly. Lord God, I want a son. Lord God, Lord of hosts, I want a son. And I don't just want a son for me. God, I actually want a son to give to you. Isn't that interesting? Lord God, I want a son, but one who will grow up to be a servant of yours. This is what Hannah prayed with much confidence in the Lord. James 5.16, the latter part of that verse, the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can't accomplish much. I've got to believe she went to the temple that day and she went there with the idea of knowing that she was going to lay everything in her life before the Lord. She had dealt with all of the abuse and all of the things that faced her and she was going to lay it before the Lord. Just turn it over to him and pray specifically, God, here is what I want. And it's a son. And if you will see fit, Father, to bless me with a son, that son I'm in turn giving to you. Fifth, Hannah, in her prayer, she prayed with an eye to God's will. 
She prayed with an eye to God's will. We see this especially with this vow that she makes, this prayer that she gives. And, and she, do you really think she was bargaining with God? I don't think so. I think when we look at Hannah's vow, we see that she's willing to forego bringing Samuel and raising Samuel in her home. She's willing to forego having society see her necessarily as Samuel's mom because Samuel is with her all the time. She is willing for God to bless her with this son, and she wants the child to in turn be offered back to the Lord, to be given to the Lord. She is willing to play in the role of what God had in mind, not only for her, but for her son. She was willing to pay the and play the, the meaningful role to bear this Nazarite that would never have his hair cut, that would come and be a part of bringing King David to power, a part of what God was going to do in turning Israel around. She was willing to play whatever part that God would use her. Father, just I pray for a son, and I'll give him back to you. How many times do we pray for that with our children or grandchildren? Have, have you prayed to God to take hold of your children, to take hold of your grandchildren so that they are his in every way, that they will surrender their life and be a servant of God? Have we done that? Do we do that? Do we fully commit to turn over our children, our grandchildren, to the very God that is all-powerful, that saves? Do we pray for God in all things? Maybe we bargain with God. Maybe there are times when we say to God, you know, God, if you will take this off my plate, then I will do this for you. And I will tell you that there's been times when I have said that. And then I feel that conviction of, am I really bargaining here with God? <laughs> Trying to get God to do something in bargaining with him and then... When it actually happens and God answers that prayer, do we offer what we bargained with? Or do we kind of have that short T-Rex arms and kind of pull it back a little bit and say, well, God, I really didn't mean that. I didn't think you were going to answer that prayer. And you did. Church, when we place our life in God's hands, when we place our children in God's hands, our grandchildren, when we place all things in God's hand, and we make a request of him, we live into his will. Hannah had an eye on God's will. We should too. Next, Hannah's prayer. In her prayer, she was fervently opened. She opened her heart to the Lord. 
She prayed with the mind that she knew God, that God knew her, and she poured out her heart to him. She prayed expectantly. On one hand, we need to realize that the emotional passion doesn't make our prayers any more or any better before the Lord. But what it means to open our heart to the Lord means to pour it out to him, giving him all. In other words, would we give him all of our frustration? Would we give him all of our grief, all of our doubt, all of our anger? Do we turn those emotions over to God as we pour out our heart? Hannah did. She came weeping bitterly. She came knowing who she was and that she was barren, coming and bearing a request before God. Hannah experienced two things that happened as we pray to God. And what she first experienced was that Prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. She came in bitter, weeping. Her demeanor was downcast. Hannah entered the prayer of the tabernacle. She entered to prayer shattered and depressed. She arose from the prayer a different state. You remember what it said in verse 18? She went away and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. Her face was no longer sad. She had experienced a blessing from the Lord. Eli played in that blessing. Eli's there. He's by the doorpost. He sees her praying. He thinks she's drunk because she's praying in the Spirit. She's praying to the Spirit, in the Spirit. She's not saying out loud, praying with her voice. She is mouthing her prayer silently from her heart. And Eli sees that and thinks that she's drunk. And she says, oh, no, I'm not drunk. Just find favor with your maidservant, with your servant of God. Here's what I'm doing. I'm making a request to the Lord. I'm pouring out my heart, she says, to the Lord God. And Eli sees that she is truthful, that she is repent or coming with an act of repentance before the Lord, an act of mercy before the Lord, pouring out her heart to God, asking, giving petition to the Lord of hosts. And he blesses her. He blesses her. And she goes away with, a change in her attitude. To us, our hearts are to be poured out to God to remember who he is, that he reigns in our life, that God is present. He, in, he invites us to be a part of who he is, and he is wise and holy and good and sovereign, and his will is perfect. And so when we come to the Lord in prayer, Come expecting that something's going to happen within you by the power of his Holy Spirit. If prayer only changes us, it is worthwhile to be in prayer. But the second thing that happens, as we see with Hannah's prayer, is it not only changes us, but prayer changes everything. It changes things. 
God was pleased to respond to Hannah. This was God's answer for her. For us, sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's no because God's will is perfect. But if you note in verse 19, it says, Then they rose, meaning her and Elkanah. They rose in the morning. They worshiped the Lord. They returned to their house. Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her prayer. The Lord answered her prayer. And things were changed. The Lord remembered Hannah and ordered his work. Hannah had a part to play in this. She had relations with her husband and 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 she conceived and as we know as we get into the latter verses of our text today that she gave birth. In fact, verse 20 says, in due time, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah's prayer, she had begged the Lord of hosts. She had asked the Lord of hosts, giving her petition before him. And he answered her prayer. Instead of resenting God's sovereignty in our trials, we as Christians should lift up our hearts like Hannah. Our God is faithful. He is true. He is, uh, has, has sent his son to die for our sins, to receive us, to fill us with his spirit. In Hannah's day, she believed she believed that God was a deliverer, that God was faithful. She knew that God had delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt and that he had secured the promised land for them. She knew. She knew that this holy God was good that his intentions are good, that God is filled with mercy for the brokenhearted. God is filled with good, good intentions for those who have trials, those who are hurting. And as we come to the Lord knowing that he is good, it brings us closer to him as we pray. God is the one who had closed Hannah's womb. That ought to give us a great, wonderful heart, knowing that God is also the one that opened Hannah's womb. God was using the plight to orchestrate Israel's deliverance from the dark judges of that dark time to bring them back to him. We may never know how God has worked through some of the trials that we have that may affect others, that may bring others to an understanding of who God is, to salvation in him. But we have faith that he has equipped us. He has equipped us so that we can be in ministry with him. We can be in ministry together. 
because we and God work together for his purpose, for his will. Sometimes I think we fall into two eras. One is that not to expect God to do anything, and that's a lack of faith. The other is to expect God to do everything, and that's a lack of wisdom. I will tell you, church, I do not believe that Hope Church will grow without God. God is going to be a part of any growth that we do. I also don't believe that Hope Church will grow if we don't do something. That if we aren't engaged with God and what God wants to do here. In other words, he uses us both, he and us together for his purpose. Just a few examples to remind you of. So, Noah and his family. Think about it. God said to Noah, build an ark. And Noah built an ark with his sons. And in this, God had Noah acting, and God saved them through the ark in the flood. Both God and Noah and his family were acting together. What about Moses? Moses was at the Red Sea. Do you remember the text? What was Moses' part in parting the Red Sea? God had him lift his staff up, and the Red Sea parted. God did the action. Noah was involved in that action. What about Jericho and Joshua? You remember what God said to Joshua? Have the Israelites march around the city for seven days. You remember what happened? They didn't do anything but what God told them to do. And God was in action and the walls came tumbling down. God uses us. That's just, just a couple of examples. There was a, a little boy who had loaves and fishes as Jesus was on the side of the mountain and was preaching, and the disciples had told him to send everyone away. And, and here God uses this little boy that comes and says, I've got my mom packed this for me, and if you want it here, you can have this, but it's only just loaves and fishes. And God used a little boy in his meal to feed 5,000 besides women and children. God did the action, but these participated with him are we living into doing our part in this broken world that we live in are we placing our very lives in the hands of God is our church placing our church in the hands of God are we doing what God has called us to do in placing all to him because when we surrender all to him he is faithful and just and righteous.
Some of you remember Jim Valvano, the legendary coach of NC State, when he contracted cancer and he was honored with an award with ESPN and he was on the stage that night and those words ring out, don't give up, never give up, he said. Never give up on life. In the church, we look at Hannah and we look at her prayer and Hannah is devastated going into the temple. She gives her life to God. She is seeking out God. She meets a man named Eli that blesses her. She acknowledges before God her desire for a son and I will give him to you in all things and always. She places her very life in God's hands. And she did exactly what she said she would do. Folks, how are we doing on life? Individually, have we kept a little peace for ourselves? I'm not sure God wants that or deserves that. And by the way, if I give him that, then I won't get to participate or enjoy that. It's that vice that I really like. Are we as a church placing our very church in the hands of God, willing to work with him in all things and all ways of what he is calling us to do? What about it, church? How are we doing on the front of life? Father God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Hannah's prayer. Uh, Father, we can learn so much from this, and we just thank you for hearing her prayer before you as she comes and just pours out her heart. And so, Father, there's so many times that we need to just fall on our knees, maybe even prostrate on the ground, Father, like your son did in the, in the garden. And, Father, we just need to lay it before you, to, to pour out our hearts specifically for what we believe that we need, but we have to have an eye on your will and listen to your Holy Spirit as you lead, as you want to use us together for your purpose. Father, may we just place it all in your hands. May we place all of our life in your hands, not holding back any of the pieces. And then watch how you take action and how you lead and guide as we walk together. Thank you, Father. Oh, what a, a great and good God you are. We pray this in your son's name.